1: Welcome, everyone, to this edition of BAM's Radio. Uh, As We are recording on this Wednesday night. A little bit later this week, uh, due to some previous commitments, we apologize for that. I've also been a little under the weather, uh, but fighting through it, uh, as you know, it's that time of year, uh, cold season going around. But uh, certainly going to try to bring you uh, some quality uh, info tonight on BAM's Radio. We are going to be one man down. William Redfish Barger taking a sabbatical this week, so it's going to be myself and the Wizard, Thomas Watts, who does a great job from the port city of Mobile uh, re- producing this show, also giving us insights into Alabama football, so we're going to bring you uh, you know, the, the conversation for the next hour or so as we talk Alabama Crimson Tide football as they come off a 62-10 to demolition of New Mexico State. And yet, though, they they uh, performed pretty well in the game. A lot of, uh, you know, angst still from the fan base about the running game, uh, the offensive line, the running back position, and, of course, some other things off the field, such as the weather, It was a scorcher, probably as hot a game as I've ever attended at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So that's become a hot topic. Alabama wanting to play night games in September, and they haven't played many uh, since 2014. I think the last one, in 2013, was uh, the game at Col- against Colorado State and Jim McElwain. And I attended that game, Alabama winning, I believe, 31-6. to 6. Uh, It's hard to believe that's been that many years ago. But always interesting and uh, never boring when you're covering the University of Alabama. And I want to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. Thomas, good evening to you, sir.
0: Good evening, Drew. I got to attend the game last weekend as well, and I am just now rehydrated <laughs> enough, I think.
1: Yeah. I, how many how many times you, since you, of course, weren't were not sitting in the stands or, or, or were you fortunate enough to be up in a box?
0: Uh, I was actually my dad located a couple of zone tickets. And uh, uh, so, so we ha- we had the air conditioning thing, but there were definitely, you know, got to wanted to be out in the atmosphere a little bit. But it was one of those things where, oh, I'm out of water. Oh, I'm hot. You know, so, so I was I was catching bits and pieces of the Alabama game. I was catching bits and pieces of the A and M Clemson game. So it's uh, it's
1: it was warm. Put it to you that way. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a scorcher, man. And trust me, I was in the pro the press box and the press boxes, you know, and, and uh, so you could feel the heat hitting you in the face. And those folks that you know were out in the stands, that you know, I could, I uh, commend them. I mean, we at least had shade and refuge in the press box. Uh, but the weather conditions were unbelievable. Uh, and I, I tell you what, uh, I, I actually thought the crowd was pretty good considering uh, when, when kickoff started. Now, by the second half, it was a ghost town. Yeah. You knew that would be the case, Thomas. I mean, uh, you know, Alabama was going to take care of business in this game. I mean, uh, these, these guarantee games, Nick Saban's group all plays. Does what they're supposed to do, and you know when you're uh, when you're uh, you know up thirty eight to nothing at the half, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, a situation where a lot of people are going to head to the exits, and that's what it was. Alabama did what they had to do; Uh, they dominated this sixty two to ten. They they could have scored in the seventies or the eighties probably, Uh, but Nick Saban played a lot of guys. I was a little surprised that Talia Tungavaloa didn't play at quarterback. We only saw Mac Jones. He's wanting to get him, I guess, some quality reps uh, while he can, uh, and uh, we still expect to lead in a red shirt. But overall, I thought, you know, it was a, it was a it was a workmanlike effort, and I was glad, honestly. I know it was an overmatched opponent, but to see uh, Tua Tungo Valoa for just a small part of the third quarter.
0: Well, I think you know what. What are you really looking for in a game like this? You're looking for Alabama to come out, as you said. And with a workmanlike performance, and that's what you got. They came out, took care of business. You know, Tua Tonga Viloa is—I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the first two games—is that he isn't—he doesn't strike me as as carefree so far. He's very workmanlike. He's very business-oriented. He's very focused, and that continued. And that—that that, you know, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but it is something different, something interesting. But he still produces at a high level. So you know, heat aside, i i don't really know what else you're looking for and i know this is going to come up in terms of where fan angst is with the Alabama offensive line, but i, I what what do we always say? Western Kentucky under Willie Taggart who might be the worst coach in the Power 5 comes in and shellacks Alabama to the tune of six sacks seven years ago. That was the second game of the season. We saw how that line developed. So, you know, before we all go lemming, turn into lemmings and jump off a cliff, you know, worried. I wouldn't be too worried about that either. So, you know, overall workmanlike performance solid. And I would actually guess the reason we didn't see Talia Tungavailoa is tied to the fact that the second team struggled as much as they did. And Nick Saban, I think that's how he looks at it. You know, the second team comes out, gets quality reps, and then the third team, the guys that might have an outside chance of contributing, get a shot. But not a lot of the second team reps were quality. You know, you got to give credit to Keelan Robinson for his long touchdown. But other than that, it was kind of fits and spurts of nothingness. So that part didn't surprise me as much once I sat down and thought about it, Drew.
1: Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Uh, There's no question. I I think that uh, Keelan... Uh, showed some juice, as Coach Saban said, in his 74-yard TD run, uh, you know, late in the game. And I think he's going to get more and more reps. Now, I I think that's going to be strategic. I think it's still going to be a Najee harris Brian Robinson, But I will say this, and some of the fans may not like to hear this, and I've, you know, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit. I went into the season thinking this team would be more of a downhill running team and try to play action with Chua Valoa to make the game easier for him. We still may see some of that, Thomas. But the bottom line is the strength of this offense is Tua Tungo vailoa who's a generational talent and the best foursome of wide receivers I've ever seen at Alabama. And I think what this Alabama team may continue to do is throw to set up the run. Uh, they're using more of a, as you and I'll let you talk more about it in this uh, while we're, during our episode tonight. There's more pro, professional principles and NFL-type principles in the passing game this year as far as by design. Uh, You know, a lot of I think the running game is going to be a lot of like what you saw at the beginning of uh, uh, what we saw against New Mexico State, where it ended up being basically a long lateral to to, uh, Henry Ruggs to get guys in open space. I think they're going to continue to attack and throw the ball. And then in the second half, what Nick Saban wants to do is you spread defense out. You should have them tired from chasing these wide receivers. And so then you start pounding on them with the run. And I, I still think this is going to be a team now that throws to set up the run it's similar to what they did last year he but he just through play design and execution is going to want them to be better uh you know in ex, at, uh, at, uh you know being able to convert in the red zone and so far they've been perfect and you know they've been able to uh you know score touchdowns and they've had maybe they, they kicked two long field goals on saturday so hopefully you know that's going to ease the angst of the fan base with will Riker. and i'll talk about Riker here in a minute but they've been able to convert so far and I do think the running game is going to get better. Nick Saban even said today, before, right before we recorded, he had his Wednesday press conference, and he said, look, we've got to get better in every facet of the running game. I think they will. But you play to your strength, and I think the strength of this team is Tua and these wide receivers. And I think they, if, you, if, if the offensive line, they've been pretty good in pass throws so far, if they keep giving him time, it's going to be very difficult to stop Alabama. And again, this quick game, the, the, quick, the, the, quick, the quick screens uh, and, uh, you know, and moving the pocket, doing the things they've done so far, I think this team is going to uh, you know, be uh, very potent offensively. And I think uh, you're going to continue to see the short passing game kind of serve as the running game early in contests uh, to get them going.
0: I think that's correct. And, and one thing more to talk about on the offensive line the, the health of Chris Owens and Emil Echior has been an issue. Uh, Landon Dickerson, that was his first, I believe I read it, was his first start at center at any level of football. So, you know, he is, he is the second or third center, depending on how you want to look at it. But he's probably destined to be a guard. Um, and on top of the injuries at center, you don't have Deontay Brown, who Deontay Brown, fans will remember when he was on the field, was a monster as a run blocker. So, you know, there's still going to be some shifting. There's still going to be some settling. But to your point, the the screen game, the behind-the-line-of-scrimmage game, even you might see a, a, re- a recurring Lane Kiffin pop pass come into the offense. Anything to get wide receivers in space to move the ball. Now, the interesting thing about this offense so far has been there hasn't been nearly as much RPO game. And the way you do a run-pass option is you're reading a specific player, and a specific defender, and depending on what he does, you either run or you pass, which is awesome, and you see it at every level of football now. But what Steve Sarkeesian's doing is installing a much more progressions-based offense where you know, play action's still there. Or you know, shotgun type. What w- what would be a five or a seven step drop if Tua Tango-Vailoa is under center is changed to where it's more timing stuff and making Tua read and make the right decisions. So with that sort of setup, instead of reading a specific person, you're diagnosing the defense pre snap, and you have a decent idea of what will be open, and you're reading and reacting that way as opposed to completely changing the play based off of one player. So the, the idea of passing to set up the run can have a lot of levels with that as well. So, I mean, overall, I think it's kind of crazy to not expect Tua and those wide receivers to be able to move the ball effectively. And we'll still see. I, I don't, I'm not willing to just say that Alabama is not going to be able to be an effective run team. I think the offensive line, is, you know, particularly when you look at the guard spots, Evan Neal is a true freshman monster. But this, is, those were his first two games. I think Landon Dickerson will be excellent, but Dickerson's had to play two different positions. So, you know, what's going to happen there? Does Darian Dalcourt, who's I think he's coming on pretty hard, he could end up shaking things up, and then you do have again the albatross of Deontay Brown. So, there are some bits and pieces still to be found. I certainly do agree that pass to set up the run should be the thing, but I don't think it's going to be massively unbalanced. You know, mm-hmm. for all of Alabama's you know up and down the field craziness this past weekend, the amount of rushing and the amount of passing yards were fairly similar except for when Keelan Robinson threw dropped that 80-yard bomb, and that just sort of skewed everything. Or didn't drop that 80-yard bomb, had the 75-yard run, excuse me. So the balance is still there, and we'll have to see how Alabama's offense continues to attack in a four-quarter game. Unfortunately, we won't really know that until Texas A&M at the earliest. And if Kellen Mond rolls in against Alabama the way he rolled in against Clemson, that game's over in the middle of the third quarter. Quite frankly,
1: yeah. I mean, I think you know that—that's the one thing you—you you, you bring up a good point. Uh, we knew that uh, we were going to find out a lot this weekend about a couple of teams. We were going to find out in the SEC about LSU uh, and Texas A&M, and Texas A&M offensively was extremely underwhelming. Uh, Against Clemson, of course, we know Clemson's very talented. Thomas, number one team in the country, but they've lost a lot of uh, defensive talent. And you know, I I talked to to uh, Will Vandervert, who covers Clemson for the Clemson Insider, and he thought we both both agreed that Clemson would win by a couple of scores. But we were kind of in agreement that it was going to be a higher scoring game. You know, I think I picked thirty five to twenty, and. He picked even even more so forty nine thirty five because he thought both defenses were still trying to find themselves. Uh, looked like both defenses were a little bit further ahead than people thought, but I, but I think the biggest thing and the, the disappointment is uh, that Kellen Mine did not play very well on the road.
0: And that I agree that the two defenses were excellent in that game, particularly compared to the offenses. Trevor Lawrence is. At least through two weeks, he's not even a top 30 NCAA quarterback, statistics-wise. Um, he can certainly get there, but he just hasn't done it so far. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. The thing that jumped out to me, because I rewatched that game, obviously because I, was, I didn't get to see all of it, is that to beat a really good team, which Clemson is, when they give you a play, whether if it's a five-yard five down and out on third and three or some such— you gotta convert it, and some of the gimme plays, some of the plays that you know you might—if you miss one, it's not catastrophic—but if you miss ten, that's how you lose a football game. Mond couldn't make some of the layup plays, and with even as Clemson's offense sputtered in many cases because the lack of any sort of pressure from the A and M offense, the game was almost a foregone conclusion. Now, I'm not saying that Mond's going to do that because the home confines of Kyle field are a completely different can of worms than death Valley, the beta version of death Valley in, in South Carolina. But if that comes to pass again, going back to our original point to see how the Alabama offense is going to attack a team when that gets put into a four quarter game, that question might then get shelved until LSU comes to town in early November. And, That's a little unnerving for me personally, Drew, because at some point you really have to show what you got. And the longer you're not tested, the more difficult it is to really progress as a team. And frankly, as good as the SEC has looked, I believe five teams in the top 10 with that, I don't know how feasible it is right now to expect to get two teams into the playoff. And A one loss in the SEC West, you know, Alabama were to lose to LSU or some such, could very easily keep Alabama out of the SEC championship. Obviously, we've seen Alabama still get in, but I'm not one that wants to leave such things to chance. So that's kind of worrisome to me. But at the same time, if you think about it, put it in perspective, if the worst thing as a fan is that your team keeps destroying people through the first nine weeks of the season, that's not a real big thing to complain about. So I'm not going to sit here and you know chew my fingernails down and drink myself silly in anxi- anxious worry.
1: Well, and we'll, we're going to break down Alabama and South Carolina tonight. But I think we all understand that um, that besides Columbia, the other big road trip for Alabama in the first half of the season uh, is going to be going to uh, take on the Aggies in College Station. After what you saw on Saturday against Clemson, what do you think uh, of A&M and their chances against Alabama?
0: I don't think – I think they were not good before. Right. Factor in the – I've forgotten the young man's first name. But yeah, J. Sean Corbin, Jay Sean
1: Corbin the, running, the yeah. starting running back, is out for the year with a hamstring injury. Yeah, we need to add that.
0: Yeah, so factor in that loss. You know, Texas A&M does have a couple of weeks to sort of circle the wagons and get that position figured out, but uh, – Remember that you know, Corbin is replacing Travion Williams, who was a monster for A and for several years. So it's not like you're sitting here and you have this 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 deep deep backfield that that recruiting cycle hasn't really matriculated, hasn't really matured yet. So I, that that's one that's another. Factor to come into. I think Alabama will end up being favored something like anywhere from 16 points to 24 points, depending on what happens with the two teams. And I think it's fair to think Alabama covers that. You know, I I would lean kind of in the 45-17 range if you if I if you had to pull me down right this second, but. We still have a lot to learn about both football teams. You know, Alabama could come out, even though I don't think this is the case, and we'll talk about South Carolina, Alabama could come out and be a nail-biter against what is a not-very-good South Carolina team right now. So if that happens, the narrative changes, but we'll see.
1: And it's interesting, the good segue there. You bring up South Carolina. You know, they they, they completely blow that game against – uh, North Carolina and Charlotte. They led 20-9 in the third quarter and lose it 24-20. to 20. Jake Bentley breaks his foot on the last play of the game. Now he will have surgery and red shirt. Many believe it's probably the final game at South Carolina for him uh, due to the fact of Ryan Holinsky uh, being uh, an elite talent and now being able to start the rest of the season. He threw for 200 200- 82 yards and two touchdowns, but did have a turnover and interception against Charleston Southern. Uh, Your thoughts on uh, uh, him facing this Alabama defense? It's going to be a huge step up for him, and I know people have been bringing up 2010, but when I think of 2010, Thomas, I think of guys like, uh, you know, the future pros uh, on that Carolina team, like uh, Alshon Jeffrey on offense, who was a matchup nightmare. Uh, we know Stephen Garcia had the game of his life, seventeen to twenty. Marcus Lattimore, who was the, the best freshman in the SEC that year, and injuries cut short what would have been a, a, a spectacular career and likely, I think, an All-Pro one in the NFL. Uh, and then they had they had Stephon Gilmore. They had some talent. They had pros on both sides of the ball. I don't see that kind of talent this time going up against this Alabama team. That Alabama team was extremely talented under Nick Saban. Could have been maybe his most talented back in that year, but this one's pretty talented in its own right, and I think Will has improved their uh, their the, you know the, the, their team in four years. I mean, they're certainly much more talented than when Spurrier left that program. But I don't see this as a good matchup for Carolina.
0: Well, let, let let's go back in the let's put some uh, some banana peels and some beer cans in the uh, Mister Fusion, jump in the Delorean, and go back ten years and really set the scene of that game. Um, it was 2010. Alabama was coming off their first national championship since 1992. Uh, Mark Ingram had an early injury and South Carolina was the third ranked opponent in a row for that Alabama Crimson Tide team. That was also one of the years that Alabama played the vast majority of its SEC opponents coming off with them, them coming off of a bye week. So, it was one of those things where, if you really go into the stats, it's insanely rare for any team to play three ranked teams in a row and go three and zero. So that that was one of the things you mentioned. The pros, uh, Alshon Jeffrey is still a monster for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, very good point. So I don't I don't think there's any sort of comparison here. Uh, Will Muschamp, I'm not sure I'm willing to say he's got the program going in the right direction because I don't think he's done a very good job on the offense again after really struggling with the offense at Florida. You know, Jake Bentley is a pretty good quarterback and he never has struck me as anything close to consistent. And now you've got a young man who deserves all the credit in the world for coming in in a really bad, an awkward situation and balling against a pushover team. But it's an enormous step up to play this Alabama defense I don't know if he's going to have the timing down that's necessary because if there's one thing you've seen from this Alabama secondary, Trayvon Diggs <laughs> and Passer might be the best DB duo in the uh, in the SEC. I, I, I wouldn't, I, it, they're in the conversation. I don't really want to get in debates as to who's better or who's worse, <laughs> but they're in the conversation. So I really don't think Holinsky is going to do what he did again. Honestly, if he does and it gets into a shootout, I don't think South Carolina has the horses to keep up with this Alabama team, barring a whole bunch of turnovers or unforeseen ridiculousness that short of truly elite defenses, looking at you, Georgia, looking at you, Clemson, has, those are the only two defenses that have really frazzled Tua Tonga-Vailoa in now a year and change to force a bunch of turnovers. So I just – I don't really see it. I think Alabama is going to walk in, and I think they're going to cover pretty easily. I think the line's like Alabama by 25, but it's been shooting up. So, you know, I, I don't want to – I'm not one that needs uh, gets into this take-your-opponent-lightly, rah-rah, sis kumba. I just don't think South Carolina has the horses to keep up and maybe they make it an interesting game for a quarter a la what Duke did. But when Alabama hits the afterburners, South Carolina is just going to be charred and left on the side of the road.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, that I, I agree with you in uh, that take. I, I think this Alabama team is going to get the running game going against Carolina. I mean, I, I, I th- Thomas, I'll be honest. I haven't checked the stats, but uh, North Carolina moved the football pretty well against them. And I think especially in the second half. And, I, and it does seem like that Will Muschamp just can't get his finger on the pulse of offense. I mean, he it's the same deal that he had at Florida. Quarterbacks just don't seem to develop under him. I mean, it is to their advantage a little bit. that Alabama hasn't seen a lot of Holinsky, but he hasn't seen a lot of Alabama. Uh, and so he hasn't seen that type of speed. Usually when I remember when Sam Darnold saw the first time when he came off the bench against USC and it was like a deer in headlights. (laughs) And so, and and USC got crushed. And so, and he ended up being a guy that went, you know, uh, third overall in the draft and as a high draft choice. And later that year was very, very good. So Mm -hmm. I, I just don't, this is the other USC of course, but I just don't see this as a really good matchup. I think Alabama with Terrell Lewis healthy with Anthony Jennings. Uh, the D line has been really solid early this season. The first thing they've got to do is take away the run of uh, of uh, Feaster. Uh, you know, who, Feaster, of course, being the transfer running back uh, from uh, Clemson, the graduate transfer, and uh, Rico Dowdle. If they make this team one dimensional, Edwards is a good wide receiver, but he he wouldn't be in Alabama's top four. I think I, I think the Tide is going to be able to strangle this team.
0: I think that's pretty accurate. And one of the more interesting things talking about the South Carolina, North Carolina game is the North Carolina quarterback. Uh, I believe his name is Sam Howell.
1: Yeah. He's a true freshman. Yeah. He
0: it was his first start and the offensive game plan for North Carolina in the first half was, we're going to be very controlled. We're going to be cool. We're not really going to push the envelope. It's going to be okay. And in, uh, it, as, as the game continued and South Carolina got up, the offensive necessity made it such that they had to open up their offense a little bit. And you saw North Carolina move the ball effectively, come back and win that game. Now, t- interestingly, North Carolina then turns around the next week and beats Miami. So, you know, th- there might be a little something cooking in North Carolina, but uh, they're long season with all of that craziness.
1: Yeah, and and I'll add this. I checked it. 52 rushes for North Carolina for 238 yards. I mean, if if they got enough movement on Alabama to rush for 238 yards, I know the Tide has struggled a little bit running the football early, but (laughs) I'm telling you, uh, with Tua and those wide receivers loosening that defense up, I think Alabama's putting 550 to 600 yards offense on this defense.
0: I think that's a distinct possibility. I really, you know, and my central thing with saying the Howell story is, as 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 interesting as the tale of two halves was, in terms of South Carolina, and North Carolina, when North Carolina opened up the offense, they moved effectively, and the interesting thing to transform that to transfer that idea to Alabama is Alabama's offense while having been pretty vanilla over the first two weeks has been wide open and Tua Tagovailoa has been at the controls at a pretty high level so i just don't think that south carolina is going to be able to consistently stop alabama and you know maybe they turn it into a duke type performance where it's 7 nothing after a quarter or it's 10 nothing or it's 7-3 you know pick pick a close score as some of the new pieces on the crimson tide roster acclimate to a hostile environment because Alabama has been playing a good number of true freshmen throughout the first two games. But it's one of those things where I think Alabama is going to get on track pretty early in the game and just pull away. And, you know, by the time third quarter rolls around, we'll be having to see the redux of the Mac Jones show. And the thing we'll talk about next week is are the twos making progress after a fairly rough outing against New Mexico state versus did they show something better against South Carolina on the road? But that's, that's what
1: I think, Drew. Well, I mean, I definitely think they're going to get a chance to play some of those guys by, you know, late third quarter into the fourth. Uh, I do think we'll see Tua a into the third quarter yet again. Uh, I think he's going to put 300 yards up on the secondary. Uh, I don't, I don't see it as a good matchup for Carolina because, Uh, I know Howell didn't throw for a lot of yards, but, uh, you know, they they were able to run the football. They haven't seen anything like Tua. And I know Will Muschamp uh, is a student of Nick Saban, but you also have to have the personnel to be able to execute it, and I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Alabama knows they've got to play better. Uh, and, And again, I don't think the 2010 game is going to have any motivation to this team. Those dudes were in middle school when this happened, so they're, you know, and to South Carolina's credit so far, they, have, they don't have the Jared uh, uh, Hawker Award from Texas A&M of writing a check that your ass can't cash with your mouth uh, and putting your team uh, against the wall and then giving Clemson bulletin board material. Carolina really hasn't done that. I'll give them credit. I think most champ is smart. Uh, he knows his team is just going to have to take care of every, every advantage they can uh, and, uh, and not give Alabama any extra motivation. But I think uh, usually when you look at it, Nick Saban's teams are always ready by the time the SEC opener comes along. And I think they're going to perform better. I think the the interesting part, Thomas, is going to be the offensive line because you talked about kind of Deontay Brown being uh, the specter. Where is he going to fit in when he comes back? We think he's going to be back after Southern Mississippi, the fourth game of the year. I still don't see him being held out of this lineup. I know I had a question today from a friend who said, well – in the media viewing period, uh, he's not uh, he, he's, hes not with the first or the second unit. He was with the first or the second unit in the scrimmages, as you know yourself. And so, as I told him, you don't see the whole story in media viewing. It's very brief. And I just think he's the best run blocker on the team. But you've seen the, the, how uh, Nick Saban handles media. If he puts a player in front of the media, this guy's going to be playing. They've got Landon Dickerson coming out, speaking to the media this week. He's going to either be at guard or center. He was at center last week due to uh, the uh, concussion for Chris Owens. Missed the game. Uh, and now, uh, I think he's probably going to be back at right guard this week. Chris Owens probably back at center. And then uh, and then you've got Evan Neal back at left guard. Evan struggled a little bit last week with some of the stunts and things. I mean, he's not a natural guard, and I think they were confusing him a little bit. So I'm going to be interested to see what Muschamp does to Neal and how Alabama, you know, basically adjust their game plan, and if they try to get 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 the running game going, uh, you know, early to kind of get him comfortable, or of course with the quick passing game, so he can you know fire off and then be a, yeah, because I think he's done a pretty good job in pass protection. So uh, I they, with the play, the, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the play calling is tailored by Steve Sarkisian to get Evan Neal some confidence early, because I think he's going to be the left guard now. When Deontay Brown comes back, all bets are off. I mean, I think it's either going to be Chris Owens or Evan Neal, you know, going to the sideline. Uh, my, my first inclination has always been uh, Owens and sliding Dickerson over because I thought he looked pretty good at center. But we'll see. Nick Saban, maybe some gamesmanship this week. He told us after the game on Saturday that, that Owens was the first center. That Emil Ekior, who's coming back slowly from the sprained knee, was number two. And that Dickerson was number three. I don't know that I buy that. Uh, but uh, we'll see because they've got to make some decisions on how to get that best five. Matt Womack is uh, certainly going to be still in that mix too at guard, Uh, but Evan Neal's got so much, you know, upside. I think it's just going to depend maybe how he plays the next two weeks as to where Deontay Brown uh, fits in. Your thoughts on that? Well, let's,
0: let's talk about the media viewing period and kind of contextualize it for folks that aren't that, that, that might be, confused media viewing period is 15 to 20 minutes of a several hour long practice yeah so it's not like you get the full picture and if you think
1: part of me it's even less than that sometimes it's 10 minutes or less
0: yeah so 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 you're seeing at most you know 20 percent of a practice and here's the thing with every alabama practice is it's all scripted the people that are running the drills, whether they are coaches or team leaders or or whatever, you know, you know, pick your pick your leadership du jour group. They are they know what the schedule is, and you can build around the media viewing period because you know when it's going to happen. You can tell you can bring the media out at certain times. So you can sort of show what you want to show. And the thing about Deontay Brown is. My, my, I guess my general point would be you're still trying to develop the offensive line, and why are you giving as many reps to a guy that you can't use yet? If he's good enough to come in after se- maybe some second, probably a lot of third-team reps, and take a first-team job, then good on him. But th- there's something more important going on, at least in terms of game prep for this week. So – I'm not real surprised that Brown hasn't been seen as much with the ones and twos because there've been so many other moving pieces. And that piece is currently not useful to the coaching staff due to his suspension. More is the pity, quite frankly. But I, I think going back to your point, it is going to be either Evan Neal or Chris Owens and Mieleki or whoever's the other center taking a seat because it's, you know, Evan Neal's, if, as he gains confidence I think he can be a serviceable guard who's, you know, God help you if he gets his hands on you because, whoa, he'll take you for a ride. <laughs> so it it's – it's, the, the offensive line has not settled yet, period, end of story. But as we talked about before the season began a few weeks back, there are six, maybe seven guys that can put quality minutes in, put quality series in or this Alabama offensive line. Now the relative quality is debatable. I think there have been moments of brilliance and moments of wanting to smash your head against a seat back from some players on the offensive line, but that's going to happen. So, I mean, overall, once Brown gets back, we'll see, but that really is, if you're worried about what you're seeing or not seeing in the media viewing period, there's a lot more context that goes on that needs to be explained to folks that just haven't been to a media viewing period in a normal practice. Now, if it was bowl prep, you could watch the whole darn thing. But this isn't bowl prep. This is just week-to-week game prep. So it's going to be a very limited picture that you'll see coming out of any Alabama practice before they take the field this Saturday.
1: Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see where, where Brown uh, fits back in. I, I still think, again, that he's going to be among the first five But he has to continue to do the right things. And I know there was, uh, you know, I was also asked if he was still in shape and how is he keeping himself in shape. And as I've said, he's gotten plenty of reps with the first and the second team uh, during preseason scrimmages. But like you're talking about, kind of dance with who's eligible uh, when the season starts. And so uh, you're going to try to get those guys ready. And they've been trying to get Evan Neal ready. and They've been trying to get Landon Dickerson, Chris Owens, when these guys are available, uh, you know, uh, ready to go. Matt Womack played quite a bit last week. Uh, they just need to get the chemistry down. And, you know, remember, you brought it up when we started the show. Willie Taggart in Western Kentucky. that, that The 2012 offensive line under Jeff Stoutland is is always lauded as the best of the Nick Saban era. And remember how they started slow. I mean, I think there were six or seven sacks, like you said, during that thirty-five to nothing uh, second game win over Western Kentucky, it was not a great performance. I remember the, some of the exact same comments. Actually, Thomas, if you go back the last several seasons and rinse and repeat, this is the same mantra every year from Alabama fans. I thought the offensive line was going to be dominant from the first game. I've already had people coming to me wanting Kyle Flood gone, or wondering if he's on the hot seat. I mean, after a while, you have to understand the pattern, and it's not – they've they've been through several different offensive line coaches, okay? And by the end of the 2012 season, nobody ever wanted Stalin to leave, and he went to the NFL, and he's already helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl. So I think Kyle Flood's going to do a solid job. I think he's a definite upgrade over Brent Key. Uh, I don't think he was a very good recruiter. I don't think he was a very good coach. He wasn't developing guys. You have to give people time. It's only two games in, and that's what kind of you know amuses me at times because I think fans panic, and they just start looking for answers. You have to let things develop, let it play out. And I think when you have a, an 18-year-old true freshman in Evan Neal who is still kind of swimming, he's not a natural guard, he's always played tackle, so he's still getting used to playing. On the SEC level, this is a huge jump from IMG Academy. And then when you have Lane and Dickerson, who hasn't been with our guys, he's only been here since uh, August, uh, you know, early August as a graduate transfer. And Chris Owens has not played much, and now he's missed a game. You have to understand there are going to be uh, moments of, uh, of, uh, in time where you don't execute all that well. I think really for me it's more – I've been more uh, – I've been more concerned about the running backs in Najee Harris and Brian Robinson and their approaches and hitting the hole quicker and one cut and get up field than I have been the offensive line. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, I, I want to kind of shed some light on why I think fans get been out of shape about the offensive line through two games. And it's this this thing I've noticed more and more. It's you, you start you essentially if if you were playing if you were playing the game we'd call it scoreboard watching. It's LSU comes out and has a passing game. Well, now LSU can keep pace with Alabama. So Alabama has to be ready to put up 50. Well, what's going to step Alabama putting up 50? It's the offensive line or, you know, similar thoughts with Clemson or Georgia or whoever. But in terms of the running backs, I, I sort of I, we haven't really seen a good what I would call it good. I put good in air quotes carry volume for Najee Harris or Brian Robinson. Good part, point. Of, part of that is because of the suspension through the first quarter of the Duke game. So they've only been the – and I'm, again, air quoting this – feature backs for about five quarters of game action. And they're competing for touches with the group we've already sung praises for, to and the wide receivers. So I'm – I'm not willing to really be that critical of Najee, Najee, Harris in particular. He's got a great yards per carry average, even though it doesn't feel like he's just crushing folks left and right. He's actually fair. He's very efficient for what little number of touches he's gotten. And Brian Robinson is I mean, he, he wants to hit the hole as hard as possible. And sometimes the hole just isn't there. My more specific answer to this, this question Drew, or my thoughts on it are. You look at these two running backs running styles and what makes Najee Harris awesome is that he really wants to be patient and then explode and, you know, find a crease and explode and run hard. Well, if the hole isn't there because of run blocking struggles on the offensive line, the being patient and sort of dancing goes from a good thing to a very bad thing. And that's always going to be a line that Najee Harris is going to sort of ride. He's never going to be one or the other. You just sort of have to accept that with him. Brian Robinson, he's going to hit – he's generally going to try and hit the hole so fast that he's the exact opposite of Harris in that if he's not patient, it's not there, so he's just going to run into the pile. But in either case, as the offensive line continues to gel and is able to open up more creases – that's going, to make, that's going to raise the running back production. Also, one of the things that Duke and New Mexico State have done to try and negate some of the athletic talent advantage that the Alabama offense has had is they've been doing a lot of stunts and a lot of games and a lot of slants up front to try and get penetration and confuse a still-gelling offensive line. That's a cool trick, but there are schematic things around it. But Alabama hasn't been checking out of them because in some cases it's good to put offensive linemen in weird situations and make them respond, if only as a teaching moment. One of the things that I hope Alabama fans pull from particularly the New Mexico State game is that is the perfect kind of teaching (coughs) game. You know, the coaches can do some things to say, you know, this is what you did wrong in this case. And it's kind of a fringe case. You know, it's not like Alabama is going to constantly call bad offensive plays into a defense and get them blown up all the time. But exposing a a gelling offensive line to a variety of stimuli, a variety of different plays, a variety of different looks can only make them stronger. And again, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? oh, Brian Robinson, Najee Harris, and the offensive line are going to get some stuff, some crap thrown against them because they're not running for 15 yards of carry. I can assure you the coaches do not care, and I can further assure you that the fans who are wailing and gnashing their teeth about this are not going to care if Alabama wins a national championship. So that that would be my, my more bro- broad answer for you, Drew.
1: Well, and... I think Keelan Robinson is going to see more and more time as I said earlier. His speed is a difference maker. I mean, I don't think he's going to get 10 carries per game Thomas, but I wouldn't be surprised in the second halves of games uh, if he gets a few, if he gets 2 to 3 4 5 carries uh, against defenses that should be tired from chasing Tua by these receivers and having two big backs like Najee Harris and Brian Robinson beat on you, and even getting involved in the passing game, because I think he's one of the top three to five fastest guys on the football team.
0: That's what I was going to say. I would be interested to see Robinson as an extension of the Alabama passing game, because I think he could do some real damage there. And that's an interesting role that it's one more thing to put on film that an LSU or a Texas A&M or an Auburn or assuming Alabama makes it a Georgia or a Clemson has to kind of have in their back pocket and develop a defense to stop. So I think that's certainly on the table. Uh, It's going to be interesting as the season unfolds, whether Robinson and Jerome Ford, how those two kind of battle it out. But ironically, this is one of the, I don't want to say better things, but one of the, unintended consequences of Trey Sanders' season-ending injury. You're starting to see guys in different roles, and they probably are going to be able to excel. So we'll see. I think the extended passing game would fit Keelan Robinson very well. Or if Alabama were to uh, instead do some stuff with more, like some zone-blocking stuff to build cutback lanes, even though like that's not really the game for this
1: offensive line so
0: far, he
1: could do a lot of damage there, too. Yeah, he could, no doubt. And I'm am uh, going to be interested to see you know, uh, uh, this Alabama offense and how much success they can have against South Carolina. I think this wide receiver group is going to feast on the Carolina secondary. But I will say this, uh, before we talk about Alabama defensively, I hope the angst has stopped with Will Reichert and the fans will, will get behind this kid because he's a big-time kicker, man. He was inches away from making you know, a 50-yarder, a 48-yarder against uh, Duke. He drills the 48 and 49-yard. You were there, Thomas. I mean, those were I've talked about the height he gets on his kicks. They were good. One, I think the second one might have been good from 55. Uh, he's been tremendous with kickoffs, uh, You know, uh, getting uh, one touchback after another, which is what Alabama fans have been wanting for years. And he, he punted once in the game. I'm going to be interested to see if they allow DeLong to punt against South Carolina. DeLong uh, averaged a shade over 40 yards uh, in the game against uh, Carolina. I believe he ended up with three punts for a 41-yard average. So I think they'll probably for now stay with DeLong uh, and let Riker handle kicking off and uh, place kicking. But I think the kid has a really bright future, man. I think he's going to be the, the – I guess the best way to equate it is he's going to be – uh, for what four, for what J.K. Scott was for four years, Reichert is going to be that for Alabama place kicking.
0: It has been very impressive. You know, the two he missed were very long kicks that were very close. Yes. You know, he didn't he didn't knuckleball any either of them, and he he's all four of his long kicks he's absolutely drilled. And has he not split the uprights on a touchdown yet? I can't I can't place an extra point that wasn't just dead down the middle.
1: You know, right. I just and let they it rip nine last year. That was a huge topic.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't, it, you know, what was the thing we said after Duke? At least he struck him well in their long field goals. I don't really care about that. But more importantly, he made all the ex, his extra points. Well, let's yeah. fast forward in another week. He made two pretty long kicks and made all his extra points. And you haven't seen inconsistency yet. Like that, that's the thing. If he comes out against South Carolina and knuckleballs a couple of 30 yarders, We'll be right back where we were. But in the absence of evidence of him doing that, I think it's okay to breathe easy in terms of place kicking for the Alabama
1: Crimson Tide. Yeah. I think special teams is very solid right now. Waddle had a kick return to the house, 79 yards called back. I'm sure Carolina will be trying to kick away from him, which could help Alabama from a field position standpoint. If they kick him, good luck because you're playing with fire. And then we've seen rugs and, and, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, Trevon Diggs be a part of the kickoff return. Uh, I still think Alabama may make a big play in the kicking game against South Carolina. It would not surprise me. But now to switch to defense, I think the most interesting thing two weeks in, Thomas, has been the rise of Jordan Battle. There's been some angst about Josh Job not starting. And then, once again, the media viewing period, where well, he's not with the first or the second team. As Saban said today uh, during the teleconference, Job had a couple of mistakes in coverage, uh, you know, penalties against Duke. I think he was overly emotional. And Jordan Battle has been very mature in his approach. As you know, he got an interception late in that game, even though they were in the wrong defense. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that he started in the, in the nickel and dime on, on, on uh, this past Saturday against New Mexico State. They had slid uh, Cheyenne Carter down to the star. Sertain uh, and Trevon Diggs, as you talked about, are the, the two corners. And then Battle was, was, was one of the safeties with Xavier McKinney. And then when they had the dime package, of course, you saw Jared Maiden. Uh, but I think uh, Battle is going to continue to play more and more. And I think the competition is good. It's going to make Job have to, you know, calm down and get better. Uh, but I think uh, Jordan Battle is a guy that wasn't talked about a lot in the preseason that's going to continue to get uh, to expand his role defensively.
0: I think you're right. Uh, Nick Saban, I don't think he's said a crossword to uh, about Jordan battle. And it's been one of those pleasant surprises as he's praised him on multiple occasions. I, I was actually, you know, several people shot me messages about what's going on with Job, what's going on with Job, And it, it, it's, it's one of the things that folks have to really kind of try and try and grasp is there's a lot of ebb and flow in any given football season. Right. and, and, particularly when you're a young player and Josh Jobe still is, they're going to be bumps along the way. You know, the there, not everybody is Minka Fitzpatrick where you just come in and are a golden God from the drop. So I don't really find it that worrisome. I just, you know, I look at it and it's like, Oh, you know, Alabama has Josh Job was off, but Jordan battles here and Jordan battles doing good things. I'm perfectly okay with him doing good things. And hopefully now, for, you know, if you take the view, media viewing periods at face value, and I realize I just had a soliloquy saying don't do that, but, you know, bear with me here. If you take the media viewing periods at face value, Josh Job has been, you know, sh- lost in the shuffle a little bit. Well, now it's on Job to decide how he wants to respond to that. You know, does he, does he put in an extra workout? Does he put in an extra film session? Does he get more coaching? Does, well, you know, what can he do? Because there are certain things that players can do to say, to show that, okay, mea culpa, I messed up. It's unfortunate. I can't fix the fact that I messed up, but I can show that that is more the exception and not the rule. So that's really what I'll be looking for in terms of Josh but you know the, the, the again talking about alabama problems or first world problems or problems that most fan bases would love to have darn a guy that everybody was hyped about and josh job takes a half step back and here comes this fresh this freshman uh, safety slash corner slash defensive back that nick saban hasn't said a cross word about in the media in 2 months to the to the abject shock of most people who have been around the man for years And he's coming in and making plays throughout in Job's place or, you know, not in spite of, but in the similar vein is what was expected for Josh Job. So, you know, we'll see Uh, iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel. So how Job responds will be interesting. You know, if it wouldn't surprise me if the equations turned on its head in a couple of weeks, but it remains to be seen You know, good Lord again. If the absolute worst thing is a guy instinctively making plays for the Alabama defense in Jordan Battle comes in and wins a starting job as a true freshman,
1: if that's your floor, that's a really good floor to have. No, no doubt. I mean, I think he's special, and it takes away this thing of losing Dax Hill because everybody was pissed off. He was the number one safety in the country out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He commits to Alabama for a short period of time, then he turns around and ruins his life and goes to Michigan. Uh, only to barely survive against the uh, army, uh, you know. And I know he's been involved with some trick plays and such. But I, you know, the, I'll take the trade off of Jordan Battle. They flipped him from Ohio State, uh, so uh, I'll take that. It shows how good an evaluator Nick Saban is, and and hopefully he, he's going to uh, continue to get better. And and I and I, and I and I and again, I agree with you. There's a lot of angst sometimes early in the season. If Job is taking a small step back, there's still a lot of time to to reestablish yourself. Sometimes Nick Saban does this to challenge a kid and see how he's going to respond. So we'll see what Job does. But luckily with this group in the secondary, Thomas, it's very experienced. You got Shy Carter who can play everywhere. So you can juggle your lineup a little bit and not lose anything performing.
0: That, that's very true. Shaheem Carter is the ultimate uh, Swiss army knife guy to kind of make it, make everything fit in weird circumstances. And there, there's a metaphor that I want to sort of throw out to back up your challenging notion. It's that, you know, player. not every player is made the same. And some players, you need a bowl of ice cream. They need a bowl of ice cream. I know, maybe, yeah. Nick, maybe Nick Saban is the ice cream man. It's a very odd image. So just laugh about that <laughs> as you listen to our show. You know, some players need a bowl of ice cream. They need a pat on the head. They need positive reinforcement. Some players need a bowl of poop. And... What I mean is they have to be told or shown over and over, you know, this is where you've done wrong and kind of get your face rubbed into it. There's not – it's not meant to be mean. It's not meant to be cruel. It's that I could certainly see Josh Joe being one of the latter category because that's kind of what it feels like this trajectory is right now. You know, you're making mistakes, and that's not – it's gone from teaching moments to what you're doing is not okay, and because it's not okay, we're going to have to step you back. That's not a bad thing. If he responds in a positive way, it's going to turn into a good thing. So, you know, good Lord, with with the way the secondary is shaping up right now, I think it's fair to be confident in this secondary matching up well against any wide receiver group if they stay healthy that they'll see throughout the season. That includes the suddenly resurgent fighting Joe, the fighting coach cookie monsters down in the bayou and the fighting God squad in South Carolina. I think that's fair to be confident in that matchup in both cases.
1: Yeah, and I think this front seven of Alabama matches up well against Carolina. Uh, I know they made a change at center after the first game against uh, the uh, the Tar Heels, uh, but I still don't think their front is considered. And DJ Dale's been very impressive and disruptive so far, helping stop the run, which is going to be big with Dowdo and Feaster. Uh, I think Raekwon's been active. I think he had five, six tackles in the last game. We saw Lebron Ray get a sack. He's done well. We may see Justin Eboh uh join uh, the uh, the party this week. He started. He's come back to practice. Uh, and then yeah, I've already mentioned the, the the fact that I think uh, Terrell Lewis and uh, and you know, and of course uh, Anthony Jennings can have a lot of success. Chris Allen as well, rushing the passer against this freshman quarterback. Uh, I, I know the two inside backers. There's going to be uh, some angst, but. Shane Lee's had two strong performances, uh, and I think that, I, that Christian Harris will do fine. Uh, he didn't have a huge stat line in the last game, and he spent some time with both the ones and the twos on defense. But, Thomas, overall, I've got this game, I'll, I'll, uh, as we're wrapping it up, I've got it 38-10. to I think Alabama's going to methodically pull away, uh, and I, it could even get worse than that. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to give Carolina a little credit. Uh, that their defense will be able to, uh, you know, at least stop some of Alabama's, uh, you know, backups. Once Nick Saban pulls the plug in the middle of the third quarter, but I think Alabama's going to go on the road and get a very impressive win in Columbia. I think I expect two and a half, 300 yards. I think they're going to run for one hundred and fifty plus. And I've said it before; I still think they're going to put up five hundred and fifty plus yards of offense in this game. Uh, when you when you factor in the backups playing. What's your thoughts on this matchup and your prediction?
0: Well, to talk about the front the front seven real quick, excuse me. Uh, I didn't hear the context of this question because I was not on the coach's teleconference. But didn't Will Muschamp sing DJ Dale's praises already? Yes. Like, okay. I didn't hear what was the what was the context of that statement? Was it you know, coach? What do you think of the Alabama front seven? Or was it in a d- response to a direct question? I assume you've heard it.
1: Uh, I didn't hear it, but okay. I mean, I I, uh, I can I'm going to check. Uh, a guest that was on my show today. Uh, Dave Kloninger of the uh, Post and Courier. He, uh, he David Cloninger has covered South Carolina for many many years and is a, a good friend of the show. I'm sure he covered the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, tele uh, the teleconference, the coaches teleconference. He said uh, that uh, well, actually, he uh, the only quotes that he put up. Uh, were uh, from uh, from Muschamp, were that uh, that on Jake Bentley, he said he's really helping Ryan Helinski as far as helping him through the game from last Saturday. Been a good sounding board for both Ryan and Dakarine, and and then he's t- he gave an injury update on Eric Douglas, uh, so they think he's going to be fine for Saturday. They said he's been moving around well, so they didn't uh real and then. And then, uh, and, then uh, and then they, and then uh, they, they're, they uh, they're, comp- they're, mo- they're more confident now. that, As I told you, they reshuffled the offensive line. So I do know, though, that he's been complimentary of DJ Dale already during the off season.
0: Okay. Well, I apologize for putting you on the spot like that. For, for aspiring podcasters, don't do that to your co-host. That's a good way to get you yourself cussed out in the post-production meeting. But anyway, you know, going back to my general point, Muschamp has sung his praises. We've seen a front seven be very, very good. I mean, you know, we were all going nuts about how well Christian Harris and Shane Lee played after Duke. That continued to pretty well against New Mexico State. Now, how much we'll get to see some of the middle linebackers based on how South Carolina deploys their personnel will be something worth tracking in terms of percentage of snaps. But overall, it's just, it's one of those games where. South Carolina's coming to a, a gunfight at the OK Corral with a butter knife. I think Alabama yeah. wins solidly, you know, 45 to 10, 45-14, 45-17 <clears throat> and it's one of those things where you come out of that game and it's like Alabama could have scored 50 or 60, but they just backed off to get more play, more players some playing time and get out of there injury free. Uh, I think 550 to 600 yards of total offense is absolutely on the table and Alabama moves on, you know, rolls through SEC play for their first win and then comes back to the friendly confines for a tune up game against Southern Miss uh, should be another good week of football. Uh, I have to admit, given the downturn in terms of quality of games nationally, Going to be a kind of boring football weekend if the top game is Iowa Iowa State, but man, <laughs> whatever.
1: Well, and then and I, here is the quote: Will Muschamp on DJ Dale. He's a really good player right now, but he's going to be a great one as they move forward. And so, uh, he, as we said, he's been complimentary of DJ Dale, the true freshman from Clay chalkville High School, uh, who's played the nose for Alabama and been very disruptive thus far. Uh, getting a game ball from the coaching staff in week one against Duke and uh, with three tackles and I think one for a loss. So last week uh, his stat line I don't know that his stat line was quite as good. Uh, but again that, that that doesn't tell the whole story when you're talking about yeah he had two assists last week uh, with a total of two tackles. Uh, so again that but with a nose guy it's more the, the the team stats defensively and and if he can take up blockers and uh, allow the line. Backers like Shane Lee we talked about Shane Lee playing well the first two weeks a big part of that is DJ Dale doing his job up front very true uh, compliment the the front seven has played excellent
0: complimentary football so uh, I knew there I knew there was something said by Will Muschamp I wasn't th- I wasn't that crazy but we'll see and uh, hopefully uh, ho- hopefully we'll be reveling because I admit there's nothing. These two teams, the 2019 and the 2010 versions of the Alabama Crimson Tide have nothing to do with one another, but let's just say that um, this game has been building for 10 years and the revenge will be fairly sweet for me as a football fan drew.
1: <laughs> well, And, 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 uh, good, and uh, I was on the Chuck Oliver show earlier to this morning, uh, uh, this afternoon, really uh, I Thomas I said he brought up a, an interesting stat that I hadn't really thought about. I think, this is the last SEC East team to beat Nick Saban in the regular season. Can you believe that?
0: I had known that statistic and every time I read it I do a double take and then I'm like, "Well, yep, yep, okay, yep, that that is true." That okay. That is crazy. The only teams to beat Alabama since then are
1: LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss and Auburn. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty stunning. And so hopefully and Nick uh, statement is is i think he's won he he he's beat all the other sec eastern division teams since then and pretty much when you think about it uh you know i i i don't think they uh they played kentucky uh in or i'm, I'm trying i know they but i know they beat kentucky in 2008 at home i'm trying and then i think kentucky came yeah they came back to brian denny a couple of years ago he hasn't played them in lexington because of the the, the quirks of the schedule but he's pretty much uh, all, one in the, in all of their backyards, except for Lexington and uh, Columbia. I
0: thought there was a game in two thousand nine or two thousand eight that Alabama played
1: in Lexington. They did that game was in it was was in uh, with that game that game was in was a closer game. It was in in two thousand eight. That was in Bryant Denny. Oh, uh, okay.
0: Well, color me corrected, I, I, but
1: because I'm not. I was, you know, I was thinking the same thing as well, and then I started thinking about it, and then uh, they won, they beat Kentucky a couple of years ago, pretty solidly, and I, I covered that game in Bryant Denny Stadium. I don't really remember Alabama going to Lexington. They, it's been a while. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think they went there in 2007 in Saban's first year, or maybe they did. Maybe that's what I'm forgetting about. Uh, because, well, because I I remember Alabama winning impressively. The last time I can remember Alabama going to Lexington, Kentucky, it's very interesting, was uh, was in 2004 when they throttled Kentucky during that horrible year under Mike Shula. Uh, you know, they were – it was, uh, you know uh, – I, I remember Tyrone Prothrow took back a kickoff return. But that's pretty much the last time I can remember Alabama playing in Lexington. So, uh, but, again – it's just because of the quirks in the schedule. The Alabama has already won at Georgia. They've already won at Florida. They won at Missouri. Uh, you know, so we know that uh, Nick Saban has pretty much taken care of everybody uh, in the Eastern Division. I mean, he, he, Alabama's had to play in all those locales at some point in time. It's just, I think it's a quirk in the schedule because I really don't well, remember them having to go to Lexington. I
0: I went looking, and the last time that Alabama played in Lexington. Was in 2013, Alabama won 48 to seven.
1: Uh, oh wow! So they yeah. did, I forgot all about that game.
0: Yeah, that was the game where like TJ Yeldon went fumble crazy, but Alabama still blew Kentucky away.
1: Oh, okay. I kind of do remember that. Now. It's so funny how the years run together. But you're right. I yes. think he had a few fumbles. I think Alabama could have beat them even worse than 48 to seven. But you're right. I think they were kind of their own worst enemy so okay so that means basically he has Then he has won in in the backyard of every sec eastern division team except uh for south carolina due to the quirk of the schedule because he won in athens georgia in 2008 uh we know in 2011 he won in gainesville florida very impressively uh so that that's interesting i had forgotten all about that 2013 48 to 7 game that was early in mark stoop's rebuild of kentucky man they weren't very good
0: huh. yeah that was that was that was that was a whooping let's call it let's call it what it is it was a whooping
1: <laughs> yeah even with the mistakes yeah you're right Alabama winning it easily 48 to 7 good good uh, way to, uh, to recover that because I just said not I had forgotten all about that game back the year uh in uh, Lexington Kentucky but yeah Alabama winning very impressively 48 to 7 uh as uh they uh trounced the Wildcats and as we said They've already uh, taken care of pretty much everybody. Vanderbilt, we know that what that's that's old hack, Fifty-nine to nothing, uh, and then they didn't pass midfield. So uh, that's like those were like Alabama home games. So and then Tennessee, uh, Tennessee's a dumpster fire right now. Alabama has a lengthy winning streak in Knoxville. So Nick Saban trying to finally get a win in Columbia, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, as I, uh, again, I'm going on record. I, I'm saying thirty-eight to ten, Thomas. Did you? Uh, I, what What is your final prediction? I'll
0: go forty five fourteen. And uh, it, you know, to close out, I have to ask: Is uh, is Jeremy Pruitt an analyst for the University of Alabama by uh, SEC championship
1: game time? Uh, that's an interesting question because I don't see how they go above three and nine or four and eight, and that's going to affect recruiting for them because it's another step. Back. Uh, he's already tweaked the coaching staff. You know, I just I can't believe right now that he's happy working for Philip Fulmer. Uh, I think Philip being involved back in that program, he's got to be being a little heavy handed. Uh, that's the and, and I just think overall uh, that uh, I don't see it as a winnable situation for Jeremy. I mean, I feel bad for him. I thought they would take a step forward this year. Thomas, it's been an abomination. They played better against BYU, but they still lost. And they'll win Saturday over Chattanooga, you would think. I'm, I I wouldn't guarantee it just because of what we've seen, but I think they'll win that game. But then after that, they've got a murderous schedule coming up, uh, starting with Florida and Gainesville. And I don't see how they're, you know, they, it's, it's conceivable, Thomas. They could be one in six after seven games. But Tennessee, they're still paying Butch Jones. I mean, they've. They, they, uh, my goodness, I don't uh, – and, I, I, and they're, they're still paying their former athletic director. I don't see how you make it through. Uh, I, I, he'll, he'll, he might be given a third year, but I don't see it getting much better next year. So, uh, to me, I, I think uh, – I, I, I would not be surprised if Pete Golding does well at Alabama and moves on to another opportunity, perhaps as a head coach, Jeremy Pruitt's back as D.C. at Alabama. That wouldn't shock me at all.
0: As uh, I'm, I'm on record saying Jeremy Pruitt's the best defensive coordinator Nick Saban's had at Alabama. So I am 250 percent okay with that turn of events, particularly yeah. with the sweet, sweet irony of the fact that uh, Tennessee would be paying Jeremy Pruitt to get their heads kicked in at least once a year. That would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, they 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 know Jeremy Pruitt ten plus million. So, but you know Tennessee, they're just I uh, I just. Uh, I'm going to be interested if they can come out of this because I I think the game has passed Fulmer by, I mean, I don't, I certainly don't think you would have success coming back as a coach. Who could he get, who could he hire to do his bidding at Tennessee? I don't know. Uh, But I I think Tennessee's in major, major trouble right now. Uh, I think Jeremy had a good recruiting class last year, but I think he put faith in Derek Ainsley and I, I don't, I've never thought DA was the defensive coordinator material. I've always thought Jim Chaney was overrated, but I'll say this: after watching Fulmer uh, take advantage of Alabama's program to kind of build his career, I am reveling in this uh, 12-year streak that's about to go to 13 when they come to Bryant Denny Stadium and get their ass beat again.
0: I'm okay with it. I look forward to it. Inject it straight into my veins, and it's not. I don't need. I don't need Krispy Kreme glaze. I need an Alabama beatdown.
1: Well, we certainly hope to have one on Saturday. And we'll come to you live next week, or excuse me, uh, we'll come to you next week. Uh, We always record this show. I'm used to saying live due to my other radio responsibilities. But Thomas and myself and William Redfish Barger should be back with us next week uh, as we bring you another episode of BAM's Radio. Again, we apologize for being later in the week this week. We had some other commitments, uh, but uh, we certainly appreciate Thomas for uh, uh, coming uh, in and hooking up with me tonight to be able to bring you an, over an hour of BAM's radio. We hope you've enjoyed our analysis and conversation, and we'll hopefully be reviewing a big win in Columbia, South Carolina next week and looking ahead, as Thomas said, to another tune-up against old rival Southern Mississippi, who took one on the chin for Mississippi State this past weekend, and then get ready for the next SEC challenge at home against uh, uh, Ole Miss. And could we see uh, you know the return? of Deontay Brown to the starting lineup of the offensive line. Those will all be subjects that we'll continue to broach in the coming weeks, but we look forward to bringing you analysis and uh, maybe some more recruiting news too uh, from uh, next week after the game against South Carolina. But for Thomas the Wizard Watts, I'm Drew DeArmond. We thank you for listening to BAMS Radio. Good night and roll tide.